Um, welcome to the latest episode of Oh No No No, Rafe Rovers podcast. So we're here the Sunday after. Um, we've played Dundee United at home, which has ended in a one-all draw. Um, Lewis Vaughan got the first goal and uh, coming on the in the first half uh, up, funnily enough, the north end of Starks Park. Um, United responded in the second half by a really strong performance where substitute Lewis Malt came on and uh, scored in the 65th minute. So today I'm joined by two debutants on the podcast. We've got firstly a K107 veteran who's joined us recently. Um, the Dutch gave us uh, Guido van de Kamp and we've given them back Mr. Scott Fleming. Scott, how are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm all good, Robbie. Cheers. Uh, hope you're all well. Aye, aye, doing away. And uh, secondly, the, the second debutant today is uh, a man who can talk about both trips to Fukushima and trips to Fur Hill. We've got Mr. Leslie Maven. How are you, Leslie? Very well, thank you. Very, very well. Glad to hear, glad to hear. And then finally, recurring guest now, uh, someone who Big Kev was clearly on a mission to, to correct the opinions of yesterday. Uh, we've got Blair Hopcroft. How are you doing, Blair? I'm full of humble pie, mate. Ah, excellent. We love to hear it. We love to hear it. So, yeah, um, yesterday's game, obviously, as I touched on, it, it ended in a one-all draw. Um, Rafe Rovers, we started off with, uh, obviously, a very similar lineup to, I think it was the same lineup pretty much as last week. Um, Dundee United, obviously, we'd spoken a bit about their strength and depth. Um, I'm going to, to come to you, uh, Blair, firstly. Um, so, obviously, we, we've mentioned about Dubrovsky having a very strong performance already. Um, but I think it was a game where there was really sort of performances across the board. I'm just going to ask you, who did you think stood out for you as a, a man of the match contender? Um, for me, it was Dylan Easton, 100%. He was absolutely relentless yesterday. Um, I mean, the boy Grimshaw, <clears throat> he's been waking up all night seeing Dil Dylan Easton in his dreams, I think, because he just gave him an absolutely torrid afternoon. Um, I was a wee bit worried when he got the book in. I'm not going to lie. The, the, I thought maybe that kind of takes a wee bit of the shithousery out of out of him, but um, no, I thought he was tremendous for 90 minutes yesterday. He was absolutely top class. Yeah, uh, I think with Easton, again, he's just, I said on, um, I think it was the, the first podcast that we did, that he's one of these players where if he's on his game, you know that he can size up opponents and that he's, he's able to run at them. Um, so what about for yourself? So for Scott, was there anyone that in particular stood out for you yesterday um, across the board? Um, yeah, there was a few standouts. I mean, it was a good team effort and all, but I think I, I said in the, our group chat yesterday, I thought it was Big Kev's probably best game for us, whether it was shot stopping. He came and actually caught a few crosses, which I think that's been something that he's been uh, looking to work on because there's been a lot of people have talked about how he's this 6-6, six 6-7 at six, six at keeper who really should be demanding his box a bit better, but he's not really coming and getting the ball or he's kind of slapping at the ball instead of collecting it and taking pressure off his centre-halves, really. But, uh, no, I thought he was solid all game. He made, I think, probably three top 
draw saves that kind of kept it at 1-0 at, at the time or um, at 1-1. So in that one right at the end, diving to the bottom corner to keep it, uh, to get us the point as well. So I'd probably go with Big Kev, but uh, I wasn't against Sean Byrne getting it yesterday. I thought he was, again, first class. He just does the simple things really well. And yeah, I, he's been a... Uh, one of our better signings this season so far. Yeah, I think that with Big Kev, obviously it was touched on upon um, during sort of our pre-match podcast that we we felt that he could be a, a sort of standout standout player for us. Obviously, those sort of saves are the types of ones that he's renowned for, and I think that players still got very much a valid point when we talk about his kicking um, and sort of distribution. Obviously, there was bits that yesterday. But yeah, just that that type of character, and I noticed. I don't know if you picked up on it, obviously, because I know that you've watched it um, via Rafe TV on the international stream. That Jim Gip, uh, Jim Goodwin was literally on the pitch at the end because he thought it had gone in. He ran onto the pitch celebrating, and then the ball gets carried up the pitch, and he's got to run off the pitch uh, because he's he's literally just like, oh, realised that like that the ball's not in the back of the net because he's off celebrating. Um, so Leslie, I'm going to turn to yourself. Was there anyone else in particular outside of those two that you thought that had a particularly good game? We were doing for Josh Mullen. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes you know, you you see in the message boards and things, folks saying, you know, what, what's he doing? And I think yesterday we saw a really good illustration of what Josh Mullen brings to us. That ball in from the from the right for Bond's goal was absolutely magnificent. It was just a perfect ball right into to where, where he wanted to be. I mean, right enough, if I was a Dundee United fan, I maybe wouldn't be too happy at how a wee five foot eight guy got a free header and then had all the time in the world to stroke the ball into the net. But it was a, it was a magnificent ball in. I mean, the, the other thing I'd say as well about Mullen, and indeed this, this is true for Byrne as well, and also Murray, we've got three, four guys in the team now who've won this league before. Yeah. And we had a wee spell yesterday where we were, we were really under the caution second half. But, you know, we, we came back into it. And I think having these cool heads on the pitch, having these guys who've been in these tough games before, who've, you know, who've been under pressure, who know what you need to do to get something out, I think that's really benefiting us. And I think Mullen yesterday ex- exemplified that. Really good balling and just being part of that, 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 that dynamic. We didn't panic. You know, we, we got back into it. We regrouped and we had a wee spell at the end as well. So I'd just put a, a wee word in for Josh Mullen as well. Yeah, I think that's that's naturally understandable. Josh Mullins, one of these players where again his deliveries into the box are second to none at this level. Um I'd be very surprised if you can find a better crosser of a ball um at this. And I literally had that as a point of discussion for this podcast to bring up Josh Mullen, because I've just put next to it underrated threat. And I feel like a lot of people look at that squad that we've got, obviously your Dylan Easton's, Lewis Vaughn's, even Callum Smith, who's maybe a bit more pacey, a bit more tricky on the ball. Um, and Josh Mullen just kind of almost flies under the radar a bit, but he's done really, really well with that delivery in yesterday. And overall, just a very good performance, because um, I mean, just with him, I think you'd say, sort of say he's almost more like an inside forward rather than an outright winger, which is, I don't know. I mean, Blair, do you think that would be fair to say? What's, what was your thoughts on uh, Mullen's performance yesterday? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think um, something we spoke about a lot in the in the last couple of years was that kind of the, the following a, a really good player and coming in to play that position. And I think Josh probably gets a little bit of criticism because he's not Aidan Connolly. Um, and Aidan Connolly was kind of loved by the fans for his work ethic and just the constant dig, the constant run, the constant tackles, the defensive side, everything else. And then he'd still chip in with those great goals. 
And that's no Josh Mullins game. Um, and I don't think that's um, a criticism of him at all. I, I think actually over the 90 minutes yesterday, I thought he had quite a quiet game, to be honest with you. He wasn't massively involved. He doesn't offer a, a huge amount defensively, I think. Um, but that cross, like you said, it's, do you know what I mean? You take 90 minutes of everything else that comes with having Josh Mullen in your side for that one moment of class. Like it's, there is no one else in the division, I don't think, that can that can put that ball in um, with the precision that he does it. And he does it every week. Um, he actually, there was there was one moment in the first half he broke and Vaughn was outside him. And there's a wee bit of me thinking, Josh, bury it. Like he, he broke into the box on the right-hand side and it sat up perfectly for him. And I yeah. thought, just strike it. And instead, he plays it wide to Vaughn, who's a good, I don't know, five or six metres wider than him. And Vaughn's shooting. I don't <laughs> care what happens. I mean, Vaughn's shooting. So I'm thinking, Josh Mullen's got to think to himself, like, there's no one to cross it to. So we're having a pop here. Yeah. And I'm in a better position than what, than what Vaughn is. I think there's a wee bit of lack of confidence at times with him. But yeah, like, a, a wand of a right foot. Yeah. So, Scott, obviously you're following Rovers from afar, as we say, uh, in the Netherlands, watching on Rafe TV. Um, how have you felt about Mullins' season overall? Um, yeah, I think Blair's kind of hit the nail on the head there. Where he's, I mean, I was at the Annan game away in the League Cup uh, group stages when I was back home for a bit in the summer. And obviously that was good to actually get to see the team closer and actually you're seeing stuff off the ball that maybe you don't see on race TV or whatever. But I thought Mullen was heavily involved in that game and whether it be taking set pieces, corners, or he just was so direct that game. But since we've been in the league games, he has maybe been a touch quieter, but at the same time, he's, I agree that his delivery is probably up there as the best in the league. He's undeniably he finds the guy that he's looking for in the same way as corners he seems to get that whip that just defenders hate and it's not just floated into the back post which defenders can just heed away pretty early, uh, quickly yeah no I, I think it's it's a fair summary of where he's at at the moment and um, I think that there's still more to come from Josh Mullen but I don't think that's sort of discrediting what he's done so far. Um, so overall, overall, in terms of obviously, we'll go into a bit more into the performance itself because I'm conscious that we, we've not really touched on the game. We've just obviously looked at sort of who the man of the match has been um, sort of on that case. So to go into the game, obviously, looking at it from the start, Keith Watson missed out. Um, what were your thoughts sort of prior to, to sort of kick off in terms of um, Watson missing out? Was that a surprise for anyone? Or obviously, I know that Ian had sort of said before the game that he was expecting maybe that Watson might be available. Um, so I'll just start with uh, with yourself, Leslie. What were your thoughts when you sort of settled the initial lineup? I think we'd sort of been set up during the week for the the possibility of Watson not being there. If you sort of read between the lines of what the managers were saying. The sense was that we might not see Watson. Um, and you're kind of clearly thinking for a game against the league leaders, that's going to be a, a big miss. And Hamilton not being there as well. You're looking at the bench and you're thinking this is... It's not, it's not as bad as last season where you're looking over and seeing John Fredrickson and Conor McBride and a goalie. But yeah. you know we're, we're seeing it's getting a wee bit light again. So you're mm -hmm. kind of thinking uh, there's a couple of big names missing. 
and particularly the bench as well, you're sort of thinking, well, you know, they, they, we'd ideally have a few more bodies in. I mean, I don't want to kind of run on too far ahead or steal the thunder, but there was at no point during the game, defensively, where you looked at anything and you thought we were missing Watson. I would say, to Brown's credit, he did a great job in there. There wasn't anything where you thought, yeah. you know, a centre-back, a proper centre-back would have done better. I mean, he did he did a great job. But, you know, kind of looking at it at the start, you were thinking, oh, God, this is going to be a, a tough afternoon. But uh, we, we, we got through it. Yeah. And um, for yourself, Scott, obviously, was there any, any sort of changes that you would have felt would have potentially done it? Or were you just quite happy to see us stick with where we were? No, I think when, yeah... Bruno's done that a few times, stepped in at, at centre-half last season when uh, whenever we were down the uh, bodies, which was a lot of the time last season. But even this year, uh, he's been able to step up. And as Leslie mentioned, it's been it's been good to see that we're not actually even really noticing it that much now. So it just shows you that he seems to be more settled. And last year, I think he, he kind of got caught a few times where they been under a ball and a guy falling in behind them. But this year, he seems to be a lot more aware uh, in the box when it comes to the set pieces and crossed balls. So, um, no, I'd agree that uh, that sort of position, we don't seem to be struggling as much. But um, I think, I know it will be for more midweek, but I would like to see Connolly start getting a bit of minutes because my worry is now he's going to fall behind quite a bit because he's not getting any minutes at all and yesterday what did he come on the 89th minute or something and we all know what he can bring to the team so if we can get him if he can play even full 90 next week in the, cha- in the challenge cup that would be uh, great for, for us to see yeah, I don't think that would really be a surprise if, if uh, we did see Connolly obviously get that extended game time next week with it being the Challenge Cup. Um, again, I think Ian Murray's touched on it before because the squad's sort of so tight in terms of our positions at the moment and we go into games and then we're winning these games or drawing these games. Um, it's always been a quite a close affair. So I think next week's really a good opportunity. Um, and yeah, Blair, obviously, just to, to sort of go to yourself, do you think, going back to the Scott Brown point, do you think that that's a sacrifice that we might have to make over the longer term, just turning Scott Brown more into this sort of deputy centre half? Because he's obviously got the attributes to do it. What would your thoughts be about that? Yeah, I think it's a, it's it's always good to have that option, you know, that you don't have to completely change your side. I, I spoke about it midweek. I was really worried about the midfield. Um, I, I thought two holding midfielders was going to be the way to go. Um, my worry was that Stanton dropping deep loses quite a bit actually offensively I feel like he's the one that drives us forward so it wasn't so much for me about Scott Brown having to drop in it was about the kind of the ripple effect that that has through the spine of the side yeah Um, I think yesterday was was kind of a tale of the two injuries so I think had Lewis Moult been fit I think it would have been a bit more of a difficult afternoon for Scott Brown I don't I mean Tony Watt I have to say, um, surprised me. He was in pretty good nick, and I thought he looked up actually really sharp yesterday. Yeah. Um, but I thought we dealt with him really well, and I thought Scott Brown dealt with that really well because he clearly had singled Scott Brown out. Like he was, he was peeling away from you and Murray at every opportunity and trying to put himself on Scott Brown. And I thought he dealt with it really well. Um, I would say that for me, and it's maybe a wee bit controversial, but I don't think they score that goal if Keith Watson's playing. Yeah, because if you watch it, and I must admit, it took me about seven or eight goes on the Wraith TV highlights to 
I'm like, is it Liam Dick? And you follow the man. Nah, it's no Liam Dick, right? Who is it? And you follow it. And it's Scott Brown. He, it's great forward play for Molt. He drops deep. Yeah. He's kind of in the mash and then comes back in again. And Brown gets caught amongst a couple of defenders and kind of get through with them. Yeah. And I just feel like Keith Watson's just going to stand his ground and go, he's going to the edge of the box. But he's coming back to me. I'm I'm not following him. What am I going out there for? The ball's coming in here, and I'm going to stand my ground. And I think that's maybe where we lost it a little bit. But no, I thought um, I thought Scott Brown had a great game yesterday. I thought he was absolutely fantastic at centre half. Like you couldn't criticise him. Yeah, I think that uh, what, as you say, I think you're bang on the money. And to be honest, I watched that Dundee United goal again this morning. And again, like you said, I had to watch it like four or five times, and I'm still unsure as to who was marking who. But that's probably me because I'm a daft fan. Um, so yeah, um, so we'll move on. Um, naturally, the goal came as I say, sort of uh, 23rd minute. It was that Josh Mullen ball into a certain Lewis Vaughan. Um, now Lewis obviously gets the header off, goes down off the post, and he can knock in the rebound. Um, so Lewis Vaughn's obviously a bit of an interesting one because he has been in and out of the team. So, Leslie, to come back to yourself, do you think this is a real opportunity for him to, to sort of make a stamp on the team now and to be able to kick on? I know that Neil Russell sort of touched on it in his post-match interview. Absolutely is. So being a bit of a, a stats nerd, I was having a wee look at the, the scorers and things like this. Vaughn is already in the whole division in terms of goals per minute or whatever it is he's number one out of the people that have scored a lot of goals you know he's, he's right up there even compared to something like Moult for the number of minutes he's had on the pitch he's been banging him in and you know I know we, we, we used to talk a bit last season in K107 about you know is he the, still the same player is he still as good as he was before the, the, the injuries even if he's not he's still a huge asset to us whether it's start the games with a was coming off the bench, his ability to just put chances away. He's still probably the, the most dangerous player that, that, that we have in term, right now in terms of being able to put things away. So I would say absolutely, he's an absolutely key member of what we have and he will be good forwards. I mean, I think as well it's worth just acknowledging above all else how good it is to have a fit and healthy Lewis Vaughan getting an extended run in the squad putting goals away, celebrating in front of both stands, you know, noising the away fans up as well. Just how good it is to have that back after everything he's been through. But even putting that aside, if he hadn't had all of that, if he was somebody we just brought in in the middle of last season, you'd be absolutely delighted with his contributions. Yeah. So, just to, to come to yourself, Scott, obviously with Vaughn getting the goals, he's obviously scored a few in the last few weeks. Uh, he got the double against Queen's Park and then he's scored today or yesterday even as well. Do you think that puts a bit of pressure on Jack Hamilton as well? Because obviously he's he's in that position now where we're looking at him and sort of saying, right, well, Vaughn's getting the goals coming in. What's it happening in terms of this? Do you think that puts a bit of pressure on him? I think it puts pressure on all the forwards, to be honest. I know that they'll all be... I, I think you can see we've got a good dressing room this year and they're all mates and they're all... But at the same time, all you hear from Murray and all you hear from any players that get interviewed is it's all competition at the end of the day and they're all fighting to get in that starting eleven. So I think Jack Hamilton, I probably would like to have another goal or two to his name this season. And I mean, you could tell when he scored that opening goal against Morton at home that looked like he was just happy to get that first goal because he, he just other I know it didn't take too long for him to get his first league goal but at the same time you could see him he missed a lot of chances at Annan away and he missed a few chances in another games 
and he just looked like somebody that was starting to feel a little bit of pressure on him, but that goal seemed to release a bit, and then he scored again in the Challenge Cup game uh, as well, so he's got a couple of goals, I don't, they're two completely different types of players, so I don't think they're direct uh, competition for each other, I still would like to see a little bit more of them playing together, but at the same time it means dropping somebody that's in that team just now, and at, at the start, um, I was more happy to see this burn and brown in the middle, and then you go, well, we've kind of made our own, a rod for our own back here. We're, we're playing so well with these two, we can't even really drop them now, because if yeah. we drop one of them and go and lose a game, then it just looks a bit silly that we dropped them. So it is a tough one, but at the same time, Murray will tell you it's much better than what it was last year. He's going to have only got two guys to bring on. Yeah, 100%. And Blair, um, just obviously for yourself, um, with obviously Vaughan uh, coming into that position, how happy are you obviously just to see that in terms of just having that sort of dynamic of him coming in and being able to offer that up top? Just what's it, as a fan, just obviously what's your sort of thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's as Leslie touched on, I mean, Vaughan, to be honest, Vaughan could come on and play 90 minutes and be terrible and I'd be delighted to see it because... The, the boys had a horrendous time of things. So, I mean, as far as a Rovers fan, no one's ever going to to grudge him um, playing. I, I, I don't feel he's had a great season so far, if I'm being honest. I feel like he's... Um, I think he's feeling a bit of pressure. It's funny, when you, you talk about pressure, I think Murray's under pressure in terms of, as Scott kind of touched on, when players come in and play well, you know, how do you drop them? And how do you keep everybody happy? I think there's a bit of pressure there. I think it hasn't suited Vaughn as well. Vaughn's been one of those players who would play anyway. Under McGlynn, it didn't matter. Vaughn plays anyway. Vaughn plays. That, that was how it always was. And I feel like Vaughn's trying at times to do too much. Um, he's sometimes a wee bit, I think, greedy. You could probably put as a label on him. But yesterday, for me, was his best game this season. I, I thought he was, he was brilliant. He worked really, really hard. He was was kind of holding the ball up, looking for niggly little fouls, trying to break the game up and kind of do that. I think Scott's right. I don't think him and Jack Hamilton are direct competition, but there's only so many jerseys you've got to go around. You know, you've got Josh Mullen, who yesterday sets up the the goal, Vaughn scores it. So there's two players you're thinking, can you drop them? Yeah. You know, and it's, it's week in, week out. It's going to be the same thing. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. Um, I think that, as you say, the competition for places at the moment is just ridiculous, especially when you, you sort of look back towards last season. Um, so we'll move on forward now. Um, obviously, second half, Dundee United came a lot more into the game. Um, so, Scott, just to go back to you, obviously, you're watching from afar. Um, do you think that was just sort of symptomatic, um, sort of symptomatic to the um, how it was that we'd maybe not got the strength in them at the back that sort of Dundee United came into it? Um, well, Louis Moult obviously came on pretty quickly. I think it was maybe 10 minutes into the second half they brought him on. And you could see straight away with him and Watt up front that the two of them have got a lot of pedigree. So it's especially at the top flight level. So it, it wasn't a surprise to see Moult score. But at the same time, I still thought Overall, I didn't think they they tore us apart or anything like that. I just thought that you could tell it was two two centre forwards that just knew what they were doing and 
knew how to get into spaces or to kind of ruffle a few feathers. And it was, um, as I say, I, I, I thought we actually dealt with them all right for the most part. It was just that corner. Uh, it was a great save by uh, Big Kev for the free kick that led to the corner. And then I just think that we got completely done by that sort of flick on. Like, mm. everybody seemed all right. And then it was just that slight deflection of, uh, I think it was Doherty that knocked it on. And then, Mo, as as Blair was saying, that Bruni's kind of got lost in the in the melee and then Moult's just been able to kind of hammer it home. But um, no, other than that, I thought we, we dealt with them okay. And actually, after we had a maybe five-minute rocky spell after they scored, but after that, I thought that we kind of looked the more likely to go on and actually possibly win the game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, just to, to sort of touch on that, yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely correct. And Doherty's obviously, when he gets that nick on, I think it just causes complete chaos um, in the box, obviously, just with, with things like markers. The ball takes a completely different trajectory. Even if it's slight, it's still, there's a lot of bodies in there. So you can see why it's caused the issues. But overall, defensively, I mean, to their credit, I thought it was a huge performance from Rovers. I mean, Blair, just to, to obviously expand on that, the second half, um, in terms of it, um, do you feel, I think it wouldn't really be fair to say it's a park and the bus display. What would you, what were your sort of thoughts on it? Yeah, I thought, um, I'd agree, park and the bus definitely isn't a phrase I would have used um, for the game. I think that um, they, they were solid. There's a real, it's a strange thing for me sitting in the south stand. I don't worry as much as what I would normally do. Like, there's a, a weird calmness about this team. Um, and I don't know, it be interesting to see whether Scott picks that up on the on the sort of TV feed. But last season, I'd have been sitting there like, oh my God, this is happening, here it comes, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And yesterday, you're kind of going, nah, we're all right here. Like, they're, yeah, Kev's pulling off big saves, but other than the Middleton chance, they're all pretty much pot shots from distance. Um, and, I was kind of thinking about the whole Big Kev thing through the week after I kind of relentlessly ruined them on, on Thursday night. But I think it's actually just a, a generational thing almost with him. Like, we're used to having kind of seasoned goalkeepers who do things in a certain way. You know, he had McGurn and Cuthbert and then McDonald. And he's very much of the big dive, push it wide kind of generation. So it looks really like he, he makes a save look like a good save. And it was that thing of coming away yesterday, you read the tweets and stuff with the United fans and they're going, oh my God, your keeper's amazing. Your keeper's incredible. And I'm thinking, he probably only made one or two what I would think are good saves. The rest of them are saves he should be making, but he makes them look like good saves. Yeah. But no, I thought, I thought we were solid yesterday. No, and uh, I think it's it's reasonable enough, even towards the end of the game. Um, you sort of, naturally, I think you never lose the worry of seeing that operations, no. uh, the the sort of the away support, um, sort of just the sort of ripple that goes up the stand when the ball yeah. hits the back of the net, and you you look automatically to the offside flag saying, "Please <laughs> fucking bail us out here." But <laughs> I don't think anyone ever loses that because there is nothing funnier than an offside goal, um, and you see fans going mental and losing the the way of themselves. So yeah, Leslie, for you, um, what were your thoughts on the on the second half overall? I think Blair's kind of hit the nail on the head there. There's a, a calmness, I think, that we wouldn't have seen last season. You know, whether that's due to, as I was saying before, just having a bit more experience, whether it's just due to having a wee bit more depth in the squad, I don't know. But this is last season you're thinking, right, 
we're losing this. You know, you're thinking, or we're absolutely hanging on, you know, Keystone Cops defending kind of stuff. But there was, yeah, there was the wee rocky spell, as Scott said, but then, you know, we, we kind of came back into it. And then after Gullen came on, you know, we had a couple of chances, a couple of shots, you know, forced a few saves out their keeper. There was also the wild deflection near the end where I think their keeper had no idea what was going on and tried to make a spectacular save because he felt he had to. Well, the bottle was sailing away. Comedy dive. Right. <laughs> it was funny with that one because um, so you see it from the south stand and the deflection goes off and you think ah oh, that's going out for a corner and then as it gradually gets closer you think yeah fucker that might go in and you can <laughs> see why the keepers sort of made the, the such theatrics to go for that one but yeah it was carry so on. late I think the yeah. ball was already out before he left the ground like it exactly <clears throat> I mean, one thing I would just say to go back to what we said before and that second half, if we'd had Hamilton available, I would have fancied our chances to maybe nick something. Because, yeah. you know, we, we were firing balls up and, okay, Declan Gallagher was, was having a great game. Maybe, I don't know, I think, potentially, I think Hamilton could have got some change out of out of the, the other side of that, um, that defensive pairing. And Callum Smith had a, had a tough job trying to just kind of knock balls down, hold things up. You know, if we'd had Hamilton in there, I would have fancied our chances to, you know, to nick something, to disrupt something, to, to make something happen. But again, even without him, you know, the, the guys that were on the pitch, um, Gillen did a, did, a, did a power arc as well. A wee word for Scott McGill too, who, okay, maybe looked a wee bit wobbly in places, but again, you know, got stuck in and we, we came back and we had a good go towards the end. Yeah, Scott McGill, he almost feels, and I don't mean to say this in a sort of uh, negative context, they shouldn't take that in this way. He almost feels a bit of a forgotten man because he's sort of, as you say, he's the jack of all trades, master of none, whereby... We can use him in all these positions, but he's not getting a start because everyone ahead, I think, I'm not sure if it was, it might be New Blair that sort of touched on this before, but uh, where he, he's not the best in his, any of the positions, but he can do a job there. So, yeah, just a mention for Scott McGill, what was your sort of thoughts on him coming on, Blair? Yeah, I thought, um, I agree with, with Leslie. I think the term we, we used with the, the boys in the pub after the game was rusty. Um, he, he, he did look a bit off of it, but... Um, we were kind of crawling out for him to come on maybe about five minutes, ten minutes before Murray made the change just for a bit of energy because that's what he gives you. Do you know what I mean? He's he's kind of in that um, Stanton and Connolly kind of mould of just relentlessly putting in effort. You get 110% out of him every week. Um, I really like the guy. Um, I, I think he's done great since he's come in. And I think you're right. He, he suffers from being too versatile. Um, he's not the best centre midfielder we've got. He's not the best ten we've got. He's not the best right back, left back, centre half, right winger, centre forward. He's probably decent in goals. Um, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? He just he can't do what the others can do. So he's he's I think he's going to be he's going to be a squad player, which I don't think is a bad thing either. He's young, um, and I do feel like he's got a bit of talent and can can come onto it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, obviously to come to yourself, Scott. So you've obviously seen uh, Miguel come on were you sort of very much of the same opinion where you just thought it was a good substitution for the time or what were your sort of thoughts I I mean uh, Davey Hancock who who does the the commentary most weeks anyway when when he's there he he kind of said the same thing he was and I I'd actually forgot he was on the bench (laughs) which you're on about he's a bit of a forgotten man but uh, Davey Hancock turned around and went Right, we've got about 15, 10 minutes to go here. We've got a point, yeah, we'd like to win it, but 
I would probably bring on McGill for a bit of extra legs in the middle of the park. You could see Stanton starting to get a bit tired because he's just ran his legs off for 80 minutes there. And then, uh, yeah, guys like Bonnie were starting to tail off a bit as well. So you just thought if you can bring him on, it maybe just re-energises us for the final sort of push. But I feel that... I feel a bit sorry for him at the same time because I can imagine that he's had a few games where he's not even came on at all. Yeah. And it must be difficult to come into a game when you've only really been training for like three weeks where everyone else has had 60 minutes. It'll be the same for Connolly, I'd imagine. When you've barely played, you, you've not got the feel of the game at all and you, you've been asked to go and do a job for 15 minutes where he'll do a job, but at the same time you go, well, we need to realise he will be a little bit rusty. Yeah, I think that as players, I think that's the first thing when you're a, a team that's at the top of the table. Uh, I think last season was obviously a bit different when we had those injury issues um, and we didn't have the squad depth. That I think it's a really good point to make that players would have that opportunity to come in and make a mark. Whereas with this, you're sort of looking at the, the sort of players like your Stanton. Stanton's currently undroppable pretty much. Mm-hmm. You look at Callum Smith. Callum Smith's had a huge impact since coming in. Josh Mullins getting assists. Lewis Vaughn's getting goals. Jack Hamilton's obviously in and about causing issues. Jamie Gullen comes off the bench and gets a goal against Cali to win the game. So it's a very, very difficult position. And I think it's probably, it must be a testament sort of, Really, you hope to Ian Murray's sort of man management at this point that he can sort of keep the players just sort of grounded and sort of say, okay, I get that you might not be getting game time at the moment, but you've got to understand as well that we are in this position and that the opportunities will come. You just need to be patient. It reminds me, just before we move on, it reminds me yep. a little bit of talking about forgotten men, but it reminds me a little bit of Dylan Tate when when Tate was kind of in and about the team and he'd, he'd come in for five, ten minutes. And like Scott says, you're, you're not playing week in, week out, so you come in rusty. It's really hard to then have an impact and actually show yourself. And it took Brad Spencer, I think it was he broke his leg up at Arbroath, and Tate comes in, and all of a sudden Tate stakes a claim in the team, and that was him in. And you know he then goes on to get his move to Hibs and all the rest of that. But it is that thing of how do you, how do you make an impact when your literal job is to come in and steady the ship for ten minutes at the end of a game? Yeah, exactly, exactly. As well, just add to that. Um, it's also difficult when he's been asked to do something different every time he comes on. Yeah. It's almost like Ian Murray's got a kind of tombola at the side of the pitch. He just pulls a random position out, right? You're going to go in here and, and fill in for 15, 20 minutes. And that's a tough thing for any player to do, let alone, you know, a young player who's, you know, still in their first few seasons of senior football. You know, this week you're going to be filling in at right back. This week you're going to be a left back. For this 15 minutes, you're going to be a open midfielder. To actually kind of come in and find what the position is that you can kind of excel and stand out in it is is a really tough shift that McGill's been given. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. Now, I think it would be uh, remiss of us not to mention uh, a certain man in the middle yesterday and to get the blood pressure pumping up a wee bit. Uh, Mr. Alan Muir, uh, the referee, started off okay uh, and then fell off a fucking cliff, uh, <laughs> is the way that I would put it. Um, so we're, we're going to start... Um, Leslie, I'm going to go to you first. Sort of, what was your sort of thoughts in terms of the refereeing performance yesterday, and and how how did you perceive it in terms of uh, sort of the second half? So you've, you've nailed it there. You started okay and then fell off an effing cliff. Um, so there was the the foul on Easton early on. It was Easton at the edge of the box, and the ref comes over, gives Grimshaw, I think, a talking to. Yeah. Doesn't pull out a card. And you think, okay. The ref is not wanting to get his cards out too early. 
I like giving a card for that, but let's see how it pans out. And it then just got really weird and bizarre and erratic. And, you know, things were running where you would want to pull it back. He was you know, stopping things. And it's, it's one of those, you know, you know, our referees had a really bad performance when it unites both sets of fans. And you're yeah. going on the, the socials and you've got both sets of fans saying that that was an absolute shocker from the man in the middle. So I, the inconsistency, the bizarre nature of it. Um, let's not forget that it was, it was a rather... A weird foul as well that then led up to the goal. I mean, I'm not blaming the referee for that. You know, there's a whole lot of things going on, but yeah, it was just a very bizarre and inconsistent performance that united both sets of fans. Yeah, so I, I'd, I'd fully agree with that. So to, to come on actually to Scott, because again, Scott, obviously you watch it on Rafe TV. Um, what were your perceptions in terms of that high boot? Uh, I, I guess it was a high boot from Easton uh, in the run up to the goal. Obviously, Rafe TV would have probably provided sort of that sort of slow-mo or close-up of it. Um, did you think that it was a foul when you initially seen it? Because it seems to be there is a degree of high, uh, sort of, a degree of consistency in terms of those sort of high boot decisions because you see them, Liam Dick got sent off for one earlier in the season, which obviously, I mean, to be fair, he did connect with the boy's head. Uh, but yeah, um, it feels like there is a, a bit of a, a degree of inconsistency there. Uh, yeah. To be honest, this whole rule, I hate, it's, especially the ones that they didn't connect with them. And it's, to be honest, the United boy, I mean, if it's the other way around and it's Vonnie putting his head in, you're probably going, it's actually smart play for the United boy because he's, he, the two of them have almost looked at the ball going, oh, this is 50-50 here. And then Easton's went up with his boot and then realised, I might get Phil given away for this. So he's kind of pulled away for it. But the United boys then realised, right, he's going up with his foot, I'm going to go in with my head to win the foul. Or that he hopes that the referee's going to give the foul. And straight away, the referee's quick as anything on it and just going, no, that's a foul. But you can see it. He's not even with a replay. He's not even connected one at all. And the United boy didn't even hold his head, really. He kind of got up and just got on with it because he was like, well, I've won the foul and there's nothing wrong with me. So yeah, it's, yeah. I do, it's one of these sort of pet hates with today's refereeing game anyway, that just these sort of fouls, it's the same way goalies are untouchable. Oh. But, which I suppose it helped us when they, they barged Big Kevin and then later in the game, but at the same time, it's these sort of little things kind of annoy me a fair yeah. bit. There was one in the second half, actually, you're saying goalies are untouchable, and it was perfectly sort of exemplified with Walt and the, the Dundee United keeper, where a ball got put into the box for a, a, a corner to the back post. Their player bundles over their keeper, who falls over, and the ball's bouncing about, and the referee blows for a foul for them. And you're thinking, okay... So, Blair, I'll, I'll leave the big one for you. Obviously, this was the one that Rafe TV, unfortunately, just with a, a sort of... Uh, unfortunately, didn't really... Uh, catch the clearest and that's no fault of their own was the uh, the sort of penalty shout in the second mm -hmm. half where a ball in the box hits, it looked from the south stand to have hit off Liam Grimshaw's hand. The Rafe TV coverage obviously was from sort of the railway stand so it maybe didn't catch at the clearest. Again, not their fault. Um, what were your thoughts on that incident there? Um, I, surprise, it wasn't his worst decision of the day. Um, I mean, it was, I, I I mean, I'm a Rovers fan. I was shouting for a penalty. It was probably a bit close to him, I yeah. think, as, as fair as you could say. I don't think it was a natural position. He kind of turned side on, and the hand was out a bit for me. Um, I, I, it's one of them that if you're the defending side and it gets given, you're annoyed, 
but at the same time, you're not, you know, crying for the referee to lose his job. Like it's one of them that you can kind of see either way. But I think you hit the nail on the head at the beginning. He absolutely shat the bed yesterday. Like yeah. it was one of the worst refereeing performances that I think I've ever seen at Starch Park. It was awful. I mean, and it was there was the one with the boy running out from I think it was just before the free kick. Callum Smith breaks out, and the boy, I mean, it was he chokeslammed him basically to the floor, and then walked away as if to say, "Aye, fine, I'll get a book in." And then turned around and went, "Oh, we're playing on." Like Aye. what happened there? It was horrendous. The booking that he gave Sean Byrne, that because Tony Watt kicked Sean Byrne, I'm like, it was it was wild, and it was so yeah. inconsistent all afternoon. He was given free kicks both ways that were just ridiculous. And I think um, it's important to call out, it wasn't just for us as well. I know Duncan yeah. said in the group chat that there was one incident where I think it was Callum Smith kicked someone above the knee and completely got away with it. So um, Callum Smith's uh, a fan of this podcast, though. He follows yeah. us on Twitter, so as far as I'm concerned, yeah. he can do no wrong. Um, I think as well, it's very difficult because as supporters, it's very easy to get caught up in these things. And we've obviously this season, I, I think if we're being completely honest, we've had quite a lot of breaks that have gone favourably with us for the referees. Uh, that Morton game in particular at home um, with, with Lewis Vaughan in the box going down for that penalty. I think it's one of these ones where it's quite easy to, to sort of lose your lose the run of yourself at times, and I'm bad for it myself, uh, where I always sort of think, oh, Christ, that referee's been absolutely awful, and you remember the name, and they come back, like, obviously. I remember the one, I think it was Matty Northcroft, who had a nuke against there, and then uh, Crawford Allen as well, and then obviously... More I recently. think the worst referee that we've had in Colin Stephen. is Colin Stephen. Ah, yeah. Colin Stephen. Yesterday the boy even looks like he's got no pals. <laughs> sitting down the pub raging like oh christ um that's a that's a question for you guys can you guys ever remember a particularly distinctly good refereeing performance where you've ever came away and been like actually that referee did really well today I, one actually stands out for me that well a good referee is when you didn't notice him yeah yeah that, that that's the <laughs> the straightforward answer is if you if you've no really noticed him he's usually had a decent game because he's just either let the game go or it's he's called everything a foul that is a foul. Yeah. yeah. I remember one Fife Derby, I think it was at East End, maybe Craig Thompson, but it was just one of the games where there's a niggly foul in the first five minutes and he gives the, the free kick. Aye. There's another foul and, he just, and it's just that moment of, I'm not booking you, but let's just calm this down, let's everybody behave like adults. And let's go was, that not the, was that the game that Falkingham absolutely halved someone like in the first minute? I think oh, it might have been, yeah. Eddie Malone. Yeah. Aye, oft. Enough about that. Don't need that <laughs> chat on this podcast. Yeah, the one that stood out for me, the only reason I remember it was because it was a game on my birthday. It was like um, back in January. It was a good few years ago. I think we'd be pointing under Grant Murray, but it was actually, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. It might have been John Beaton. Um, but for some reason, he was refereeing our game. It was like a Category A referee. And he just let the game flow like really well. And me and my friend were sitting there and we were saying, actually, this referee's doing a really good job here. He's just letting the game run. You don't want the game to be stopping every few minutes. There was a lot of sort of niggly fouls and things like that that should have been given, but he's just given advantages. So, yeah, that's uh, one to, well, to consider. Sorry, Scott, I was going to ask you, what was what was your feeling like? I mean, if you can remove yourself from it, what was your view of the game yesterday? Did you think it was a good game? Uh, first 20 minutes was scrappy as hell it was like um, I 
both teams just realised it looked like they knew how big a game it was already, even that was eight what eight games in we are now. But you could tell that the first 15, 20, that it took a long time to settle in. But then once the 20 minutes had gone past, I actually thought for the, the other 70, it was a pretty good advert for the championship. Yeah. It was a, a pretty decent game. I thought we didn't... Neither team dominated the game. We had Each team had a little 10-minute spells, but I thought it was a pretty even game. And as we've said earlier in the, in the podcast, that probably a job was a fair result, to be honest. I just I wonder because the and it, like it felt like it was really start stop because there was a lot of fouls and a lot of niggly uh, kicks, but the atmosphere was really good. So I wasn't sure whether you know watching it on the telly is it a game that actually ends up being a bit of a like really frustrating kind of afternoon, or if it was just the atmosphere that was kind of because I came away from it thinking that was a good game, like regardless of the result and and everything else, it's actually a really good game of football. Yeah, second half was a wee bit. Stop start, like you say, but now nah, first half, I thought once everybody kind of settled down and it wasn't as scrappy, that it was a, a pretty decent game. Yeah, I, I think that's I'd, I'd agree with that myself. Um, and I think that it was it was good because you got a sense of the buzz about the place as well. Um, I'm sure you got that, Blair, just being in the stadium and sort of seeing the game. It just felt like, yeah, the, there was definitely the you had the lads up the back creating an atmosphere just overall generally an excellent number of ticket sales given the, the sort of circumstances you look at the weather outside and you think oh geez going to be a, a long one and yeah just a, a performance that the team should be really proud of because they just battled away for the full 90 minutes and um dundee united with yeah, a re- yeah. There's a, kind of, there's a cup tie the cup tie thing the cliche gets used a lot but there was a bit of that you know the, the whole game um, yeah. There was a kind of real cup tie feel to it with Gray and Kilgour appearing doing his wee video piece on Twitter, you know, Ray Throwers yeah. fans all around here, all around here, you know, and then the, the buzz around the place and then both teams going for it. Absolutely. And just to give a little plug uh, as well, um, not that you'd notice it, his uh, Sam North, the video that he put out, I don't know if anyone mm-hmm. watched that, but that was really good just to sort of see. I think the club have basically said, right, he's, he's obviously clearly an influencer for, for lack of a better phrase in a sense of like, this is a great opportunity to show what's going on behind the scenes because it's not always easy to sort of figure out a time and a place to sort of do a, oh, this is what the dressing room's like, this is what it's like behind the scenes here, meet these people. So it was really good to sort of get that insight and have a, a sort of look and obviously you get the feeling of how much the club's changed by what Dylan Easton's saying about it as well. Uh, so that was... the ball boy. Spots him and says, am I on YouTube? That was, the... oh, was absolutely priceless. Brilliant, brilliant. So, yeah, um, obviously the game ends 1-0. Um, and my next segment that we've got called here is uh, Not Just Pretty Faces. Uh, because, yeah, huge games from Sean Byrne and Kevin Dubrovsky. So, obviously, I know that we touched on it before. Those are two faces that have came in in the summer and uh, really established themselves in the in the sort of, uh, in the team. So, yeah, just overall, has anyone got any other thoughts on the, the sort of 90 minutes of the game itself? We're all quite happy with it. Well covered. I think it was it was a, a good point well earned. Yeah, fully agree. Never, fully. A, never a bad point in the championship. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly, exactly. So we'll move on to the big question. I don't know how many people caught this, but there was doing the rounds on social media uh, after the game was that Dundee United had literally parked their team bus at the bottom of the ramp of Starks Park, which 
I know we, we have a bit of laugh about this, but there was an ambulance trying to get out, and you do think a bit like, why are you still insisting on remaining there? Just move it up the street a wee bit and let the ambulance out. But again, these are questions for bigger people than myself to, to figure out. Um, so the big question this week is, what is the, the biggest display of bus parking that you've either seen for or against Rafe Rovers? So... I'll open the floor up. I'll start with yourself, Blair. Um, I I mean, we talked about this last night. I'll be honest, I really struggled. Um, there was plenty of examples under McGlynn in particular of us shit in the bed. Um, not so much of us parking a bus, but the, the two that I've kind of picked out, and I, I, it's only reason it's two is because it was the original and then the replay was the, the Aberdeen um, Scottish Cup games. So obviously Williamson scores... Um, at the North Stand, which, to be fair, probably should have got mentioned on Thursday night as well because it was a yeah. cracking finish. And then we parked the bus in and, you know, Mark Campbell just heading people, anything in his way, everything. Um, and then they score that 99th minute goal or whatever it was. That's another refereeing performance for you as well. He was just going to play until they scored. Um, we go up there for the, the replay. I mean... In terms of if you're going to make a movie of a football match, you know your your captain and leader gets um, cut out of a car on Monday, um, and you go up to Petodre on the what was it the Tuesday or the Wednesday. Um, Doogie Hill pulls up in the warm up, so there's literally only Grant Murray in plain centre half. Stevie Simmons drops in from midfield into centre half, giving a Scott Brown esque performance. You've got Mark Ferry who is the Scott McGill of the McGlynn era, <laughs> playing at left-back. Um, Taddy scores that that goal that he nearly missed from all of two yards or whatever it was. Ah. And, um, yeah, just a, a proper park-the-bus moment. Although it has to be said, my favourite story with Stevie Simmons for that night is McGlynn saying to him, no matter what happens, you just get rid of it. You just put your foot through the boss on, you get it up the park, and then Stevie Simmons cries turning somebody on the edge of his own box. <laughs> And McGlynn just going absolutely mental at him. Like, just get rid of the ball. That was, uh, it was a funny game because Craig Wilson also had the flu. Like, uh, right. yeah, so that's another additional sort of factor in there. Me and my yeah. friend, my friend, we always laugh about this because we were we went up and I was I was at uni at the time. And obviously, I'm, I'm sort of a skint student. said to my parents, can I borrow money to go up to Pataudry? Nah, no chance. So my mate's like, nah, it's fine, I'll pay. And, and there was about three supporters buses going up. The supporters bus that he was meant to get on completely drives past the stop. So I'm on this bus with no money on the way up to Aberdeen, talking to Eddie Dog. Like, I'm, I've got no money, by the way. He's like, ah, it's fine. We'll pay you into the game. Don't worry about this. So... <laughs> Fortunately, the other supporters bus went back, so we are sitting next to the segregation fence. And my mate is a is a joke at the start. He says, "Oh, if we score, you're leading the charge." Soon as we score, I'm like, I don't know, I must have been what 21, 22 at this point, so fucking daft as a brush. Soon as we score, I just run and jump onto the fence and start noising up our fans. And there's this woman that's going absolutely ballistic. She must have been she must have been early twenties as well. She's absolutely going mental. And then injury time you see just hear this apoplectic scream she kicks the chair in front which shatters and then storms off out and then i've never been called a specky bastard more than walking down by that fence um <laughs> when i was going down to, to sort of we were going down the front to celebrate at the end but yeah that is a hundred percent a worthy mention of a game of it was a great night 
yeah, parking the bus. And There's I a don't... debate as well we had last night. John Greer disagrees with me, but I remember Doogie Hill pulling up in the warm-up, and because of some stupid rule, it was so close to kick-off that they, because he, he subbed on Bobby Sloan for him, Aye. Then they went into the midfield and he dropped Simmons into centre half, but they counted it as a substitution. I'm sure they did, and we only got two subs for the rest of the night as well. Ah, uh, wouldn't they surprise me? Um, so we're going to turn to yourself next, Scott. What did you have in mind for parking the bus? Uh, aye, well, that I I was at the home game for that Aberdeen one, but uh, I didn't get to go that way, Ty, because they were because obviously it's in Aberdeen. My dad was leaving at like four o'clock in the afternoon. I was still at high school. So I, I'd only just finished. They went, nah, you're just in school, so I can't take you out. I was just like, <laughs> and then see when, I was listening actually on the radio that night, but see when we won, I was just like, oh, could have been there. <laughs> but uh, no, the game I went with was um, a game that I did go to, which was the cup final at Easter Road against Rangers. Um Aye, that's up there as one of my best sort of Rovers Rovers days for sure. It's uh, well, it, it heightened it as I think Jason Thompson's came out. It definitely heightened it the fact we're playing Rangers for oh, a start. 100%. I mean, if that had been Queen of the South like it was a few seasons, a couple of seasons ago, great to win a cup, a cup but at the same time, it, the same. and then never got spoke about after that week. It was just, and it was the same with the build up. Because the semi-final had been, I think it was December or something, uh, and we played Annan. We then had to wait four months till we got to the final. But the guys, the guys were saying as well pre-match is like, it took for ages till this final got here. But then once it was, it was just everywhere for two weeks. Was just oh, it's the final against Rangers. It's the final against Rangers. And then the game itself was a shocking game. Like, oh, it, was, it was terrible and I, I, I was sitting next to my dad and we keep looking at each other going we'll probably get beat at some point here but it's just we've no turned up at all and I think uh, Grant Murray said in the, the interview after the game like, I, I wasn't happy at half time because we're not showing ourselves in a good light here we, we're, we are a decent team but we're not showing it here and then yeah the Rangers just constantly battered us for about yeah, seventy of the ninety minutes, and Morgney probably should have had a hat trick ahead of us, and he kept ballooning them over the bar for about a yard out every yeah. single time. And you could tell it got to about eighty minutes, and I went, "We've got a chance here," because they they were starting to get extremely frustrated. The fact that they couldn't score, and I mean, it wasn't really a figure that people probably remember too much. But Lee Robinson had a good game that day. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't actually have a good time? In, in all with us, I mean, he was involved in some games where we were getting gubbed like 5 2 at him to Livingston, and he's in goals for all of this. And so, um, I think it was documented that he actually gave his medal to Davy McGurn because yeah. he got us to the final as well, but uh, couldn't they play in the game? But it was it was definitely up there as we were pretty much just sat in, and I thought it was Doogie Hill's best game in a Rovers jersey that day, he was just heading everything and booting anything away that was just in his way. Paul Watson also was brilliant that day as well, but um, and then obviously we can, we know what happens in extra time with Mosney just uh, slipping, <laughs> Spence then slipping and all, and then Rangers kicking the ball off each other before uh, Baird is able to slip it under the keeper. And I mean, any time that sort of reappears on Facebook around the sort of date that it was on, 
just the noise that comes from what was it, three and a half thousand us in that stand behind the goal compared to the, the I think they had about seventeen thousand. It was it was incredible to hear it was only three thousand, but it just was ballistic. And I, I was sat two seats along for Brian Graham, who had obviously played for us a few seasons beforehand, and he was just going as mental as what we were. Oh, he, I, uh... he was an ex player that just probably barely got on tickets or something. But it was it just shows you that just what the sort of feel of the club was at that time as well. Uh, I love the story that John Baird had about that game, um, which is that he was running down one of the touchlines to get the ball at a throw-in or something like that, and uh, he noticed one of his friends from school um, who is like waves at him, and he goes, what the fuck are you doing here? You're a Tim. <laughs> and like, all these folk turn at him like, what the <laughs> But uh, there's a few things that stand out for me about that game. That like The game itself, as you say, was absolutely shocking. I remember Joe Cardo getting booked for like going in front of a ball at a free kick that Lee McCulloch just pelted off him and getting booked for that and being absolutely fizzing at Kevin Clancy for it. Um, I remember Morshney booting the post after one of those efforts that you mentioned. But I... That was just a tremendous day. We, me and my friends, we met outside the Omni Centre, and there was a guy in a full Union Jack suit with a Union Jack like plastic bowler hat on, walking down to the game, and you're thinking, "Fuck me, Jack! Just how can you like have your life like that?" And then you get to the game, and at the end of the game, you see this plastic bowler hat rolling down the front of the pitch, and you think that's brilliant. It's just, uh, just I remember a... the train home as well, actually, because we left Easter Road. And we thought we're getting back to Kirkcaldy. We're just going to go back, back to Kirkcaldy, jumping on the train, and it being full of Rangers fans heading to Fife, Aberdeen, Dundee, Perth, Aye. all heading north and thinking this is exactly what the problem is. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, definitely one of the the days that you you'll never forget as long as you live if you're a Rovers fan. So Leslie, you're up next. What was your perfect display of parking the bus? Right. Well, weirdly enough. Before we even started thinking about this, during the week, the, the last episode, Blair was talking about Stevie McInesby's free kick into the North Stand <laughs> against go to Throttle Flag. And that sent me off down a UEFA Cup-shaped rabbit hole. And I've never actually seen this game until about five days ago. But there's, there's the legendary away game to Akranes where Jimmy Nichols started with seven defenders. I mean, this had kind of passed through through legend. And I only actually saw this during the week. Um, some excellent human being has uploaded the Icelandic TV footage to YouTube. So just, just for a bit of background. So the first the first leg, this was this was after we beat Goto. And we were drawn against Akranes. We were a fairly good team. And we beat them 3-1 at Starks Park. And the problem with that was the one, because away goals... You know, this meant that it was going to be tight. And, you know, Akranes were a good team. So we, we went up to Iceland and Jimmy Nichols' philosophy was clearly, we are going to park the bus or whatever park the bus is in Icelandic. It's probably about 38 letters long. <laughs> and so we started with this. Basically, any any defender you could name from the, the Rovers in the mid-90s was on the pitch. You know, Ronnie Coyle was out there and goodness knows who's else. Sean Dennis must be out there as well. Julian Broadle, Davy Sinclair, any any defensive minded player was 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 out there. And again, at this time I was I was I was school age. I'm sure my age. I was primary school at this point. And of course, my dad was not taking us to Iceland. You know, the flights were expensive. We couldn't go there. We were listening to the updates on the radio, and we knew it was you know it was it was squeaky bum time. We knew that it was it was tight. And Akranes had scored. And you know we knew if, if they scored again, um, we were out effectively, unless we scored. 
what I didn't realise until I saw the footage was quite how um, defensively we were playing. So the footage is pretty grainy, so it's hard to know exactly what's going on. But there is at one point what looks like a nine-man wall. So Akranis had this 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 striker called Arnor Gunlaugson, and he looked like a Viking. If you had to imagine what a Scandinavian striker looked like, he had this wild, long, curly blonde hair. I mean, he was he was a good footballer, and he ended up out in your neck of the woods, Scotland, and Feyenoord, and then he ended up in England too. But he's got this free kick, and then and Dundee United. The ball, and he sees Burn. And I, he plays for Dundee United. United. He ended up at Dundee United, absolutely, yeah. Um, so you see Scott Thompson, who for the younger listeners, that's Robbie's dad, you know, Scott Thompson marshalling this wall and there's the Icelandic commentary. It's like the, you know, the the, the Swedish chef from the Muppets, you know, bucky, 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 you know, and you see Gunnar running up and then this free kick just disappears into this huge wall and then disappears off into the North Sea and into the Atlantic, bounces off somebody and that's it and we're through. And then the rest, as they say, is, is, is history and we get drawn against Bayern Munich. So, you know, for one that's been in legend to actually see the footage of this this Jimmy Nickel Park in the Bus Masterclass, that's that's my my favourite Park in the Bus moment. What I... I'm actually just while you're talking, sorry, Duncan, just uh, while you're talking, I was just looking up the start in the living. Because I was thinking to myself, who else would have been in there? I was thinking Robbie Ray side that's too early for him. I'm having a look. They they literally lined up six three one. So it was Ronnie Coyle, Davy Sinclair, Stevie McInespy, Sean Dennis, David Kirkwood, and Julian Broddell all started the game together with Dare Lennon and Cameron in midfield and Crawford up front. It's beautiful. What I what I love about this though is the fact that there's someone in Iceland who's obviously got a passion about a cranny's 1990s football like we do for Rafe Rovers who just said, yeah, it was part of our history. So that the the Icelandic Daniel Elder is out there uploading clips onto YouTube uh, from just random matches in the 90s. So that would leave myself. Uh, for me, my favourite display of Park in the Bus was Dundee away in the Scottish Cup. Um, we went into a 2-0 lead in the first 10 minutes, which I don't think anyone thought was ever going to happen, particularly given Dundee were at their highest of free spend. Well, I don't know about highest of free spendings because they're an absolute basket case of a club. But uh, yeah, they, they'd spent heavily. They had like Griffiths and Harkins and their team, among others. And yeah, we, we raced into a 2-0 lead, which really should have been a 3-0 lead if we're talking about shocking refereeing decisions. Graham Weir getting that goal ruled out, which would have been his first for the season and just a, a sort of perfect way to sort of see him off in terms of his Rovers career. Um, but after that, very much Dundee scored and then it was a backs-to-the-wall job. Um, I think in particular, uh, Thierry Gattuzzi had an excellent game that day, which is not something that we said very often. But yeah, just overall, uh, just a, a really, really um, solid display of parking a bus and getting the ball away. And then we went on to play, funnily enough, Dundee United um, in the in the semi-final, which we, we respectively lost as they went on to win the, the, the competition. So those are our displays of parking the bus, uh, which I think nicely rounds us off. Uh, I just want to say thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you for all your retweets, your comments, sharing. We had a lot of people get back to us with their favourite North Stand goals, mentions of uh, we had Maddie in there, uh, that Ian Williamson goal came up. So again, thank you very, very much for all your positive comments and uh, taking the time to, to obviously listen to the podcast, obviously. Um, we'll be back during the week, I'd imagine, for a, a pre-Montrose uh, Challenge Cup deep dive. Um, I'm not sure who'll be hosting that one, but we'll we'll obviously look forward to that. 
Uh, so it's goodbye from me, and uh, I'll leave it all to yourselves to say goodbye as well. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, cheers. See you later. Hi, thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time.